Earshot with Steve Martin. Hello, welcome. Thanks for downloading. You know, we always say that like it's a major operation. You've really made some effort to click there, I can see. Thank you, it's appreciated. Uh, moreover, it does mean that you will hear Colin Kelly explain how radio is coming to Scottish schools. They love it. They think it's exciting. They want to feel it and uh, they want to, to control it. And David Lloyd on the power of good writing. At its very heart, radio is about words. And the words you choose will persuade a listener to listen after the break, after the next song, or not. And you've got to choose them wisely. And because we're making this podcast around Christmas, I've got a couple of festive ads for you from around the world. It's all within Earshot, the radio production marketing and promotions podcast. Uh, yes, a new music for the Earshot podcast. What do you think of it there, Colin? Uh, that's good. There's a bit of a Strictly Come Dancing vibe on that, I think. <laughs> it's a bit old school. It's a real band. I love it. Really good. You can always tell when you're editing music from a real band because you try and line up the drum beats and they don't quite mesh because the, the drummer's really feeling it. It's not a machine. It's a heart behind that beat. It's authentic and that's what it's all about these days, isn't it? I think so. And it's a bit anti-jingle as well just yeah. to go back to an old-fashioned theme tune. So that's what we've got on the Earshot podcast uh, from now on. And I'll tell you one thing, that melody is going to stick in your brain. It is infectious. <laughs> Colin, tell us about uh, Schools Radio in Scotland. How has your project come about and what are you trying to achieve? Well, this was something I was approached to do. My, my wife's a school teacher and she teaches at the school that we both went to. And so they, they know about my career in broadcasting and they said that they wanted to set up a school radio station. And I didn't fancy crawling around on my hands and knees, uh, putting cables all over the school so that they could listen to it in the dinner hall. I thought there's got to be a more modern solution. So I dabbled previously in, in online radio and I thought, well, that way it means that the children can listen wherever they are. They can listen at home. We can use, we can deliver it all through the cloud so there's no live programs there's no risk of you know inappropriate songs being played uh, or, or somebody saying the wrong thing um, and, and programs can be can be rebroadcast and repeated um, and we, so we piloted it in, in this one school and I was just amazed at the way that the young people their enthusiasm for radio and to be part of this we go in and we run a workshop around radio journalism we teach them uh, editing uh, we teach them script writing many of the radio skills as we can of course there's a team working element to it and then they're off and they put together these these programs and uh, the first one went out last week and it was a huge success so the the website is scottishschoolsradio.com it's on it's live 24 7 and my hope is that more schools across scotland will contribute to this and it will become i suppose a, a hub or a showcase for some great work from lots of different schools around the country and what is the age group of the children who are involved in this well, it's, it's available for, for anyone in any secondary school that wants to be part of it. Um, our, our expectation had been that it would be the senior pupils who would drive it. I think I underestimated the younger ones, but some of the first years and second years that came along when we started this, um, and really it was them that drove it forward. The, the older ones maybe have a few more distractions, but the, the 12 and 13 and 14-year-olds really embraced it, and their passion and commitment to it was incredible. And I have to say as well, in terms of the, um, the people that went on and presented and anchored the programmes, the, the talent and the strength of their voices, um, I was really quite impressed. 
We're hearing all the time that young people are listening to the radio less for for shorter periods of time and in some cases uh, not at all. Uh, What enthusiasm did you find from the kids at the schools to radio as a medium? They love it. They think it's exciting. I think they're understanding now that radio is accessible to them and I think that's why they might be turning their back on some of the mainstream stations because they don't feel that they have that ability to be part of it. It's, media in general for, for young people, and by that I mean anyone under 25, isn't isn't passive. They want to make it. Uh, they want to feel it. And uh, they want to, to control it, I suppose. And that's, I think, where this project can, can give them a bit of that. And I hope that in time, some of the mainstream stations will will properly embrace it. If you want young people to listen to you, you have to let them be part of it and actually involved in the process of making it. Okay, let's hear some of the audio that uh, they've created. What are we going to hear? Well, we've got some of the imaging. And um, when I recognised the enthusiasm that that the children had for this, I I said to uh, Joxvox, who made the the imaging, I said, really ramp it up, really go for it, put in lots of wishes and bangs. That's what the the young people want. So I think we've got a couple of the the imaging clips, first of all. This is Scottish Schools Radio. Yeah, so that's one of the stings. And uh, you're going to drop in another one as well? The Grife High Takeover. Grife High Takeover. On Scottish Schools Radio. Scottish Schools Radio. Okay, so that sets the uh, tone for the station then. A lot of energy, a lot of, of power. And I guess if the, if the children are playing those around uh, their own content, it, it does feel like the radio they listen to. It does. And once they heard that, they were like, oh, wow, this is real. Um, I think they thought it was going to be some sort of safe little kid-on project. And it's not. It's big, it's bold, it's brash. And, and anyone anywhere in the world can go to that website or via the TuneIn app and you can start listening to this. Um, and... In terms of the content that they produced, because my background's journalism, I wanted them doing, uh, creating something of a bit of substance. So they went and interviewed the head teacher. There was an anti-racism project in the schools, so they went and they interviewed people who were part of that. Um, uh, there's tips to help new visitors to the school, new pupils in terms of settling in. And what we're going to hear is a bit of comedy that one of the uh, girls wanted to create. This was her. This was her five funny facts. I'm Jennifer and it's time for 5 Funny Facts in 50 Seconds. This is the part where we tell you totally weird, useless and funny facts that are great to amuse your friends and family. Ready? Let's go. Did you know the 29th of May this year was put your pillow on your fridge day? The second fact is in Finland they have a wife carrying world championships. Number 3. The Mona Lisa has no eyebrows since it was a fashion back then to shave them off. The fourth fact is humans have the same amount of bones in their neck as giraffes do. Giraffes are just longer. And finally, fact five, a baby octopus is the size of a grapefruit when it's born. That's your five funny facts in 50 seconds. Tune in next time for some more. Bye. Hey, watch out Steve Wright. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's great, isn't she? Yeah, I mean, some of it's a bit surreal. Um, But I wanted to, I just want to introduce them to it, give them the skills and then give them an element of freedom over what they what they do with it. So they chose all the music um, and and some of the features as well like that. So I think it's got their their real character coming through. Colin, is this part of the official curriculum in the school or is this just a bit of fun on the side? 
it's just a bit of fun in the side. I mean, I think though the, the school was very enthusiastic about it in terms of um, letting the pupils come off timetable. They went and bought some equipment, so I recommended some of these Zoom recorders and these uh, USB microphones that are going to put that together as well. So the school have really supported it. And um, we've put together a resource pack as well. Um, so although it's not in any way part of the curriculum, it's aware of the curriculum. And it, in, in Scotland, we have this Curriculum for Excellence, which is all about different departments working together so it takes that into account and you know my hope is that people will embrace this and um, and get involved so if you were recommending another school either to get involved in your project or perhaps do something in another country in britain or overseas what, what are the skills that you need to bring together to get started well i think you need a a method of distributing it I mean, obviously, my project doesn't have any live programming um, and there are others, other platforms that do. So you need to decide whether you want to do live or whether it's all going to come from the cloud. Um, I think you need people within the school who are going to take it on and lead it. You need some teachers there who will take this forward because we can go in and do workshops, but we're not there all the time. Um, I think you need to keep the children excited, but put in a little bit of discipline so that it doesn't doesn't run run riot. Um, and, and it's really about keeping them to, to deadlines as well. And then on top of that, you've got, well, the, the editing skills. They need to know how to interview, how to get the audio sounding at a consistent volume, which is a real challenge when you've got different, you know, some 13-year-olds are very loud, some are very quiet. And so the way that they use the equipment um, has to take that into account. And your website address is? Yeah, so it says scottishschoolsradio.com. Okay, if you're in Scotland and you want to get involved with Colin's project, uh, have a look at that right now. Colin, stay with us. We're going to hear from David Lloyd now, and then uh, let's have another chat after that. This is Earshot, the radio production, marketing and promotions podcast. I'm Steve Martin, and all our show notes are at earshotcreative.com. Now, any radio podcast without David Lloyd in it is frankly not worthy of the name. As a commercial radio and BBC broadcaster a programmer, a senior manager and a regulator once, oh yes, David's seen the British radio industry from just about every angle and his passion for the medium is evident in his chronicle of significant radio moments. Well, this year David published his first book, How to Make Great Radio. Maybe you've read it. I wanted to know who it's for. It started out of frustration uh, because people in this wonderful, exciting business of ours now get to the top almost really quickly, don't they? Within sort of months, they're on the breakfast show. Whereas years ago, you know, you had to sit for uh, seven years on, on overnights. And it's surprising how far you can get into your career not knowing some of the basics. So it started out of that frustration when I was thinking, surely you should know that. Somebody should write a book, I thought. And then I thought, well, I should. So I started. And uh, there's only so much anger you can put into a book. So after the first three <laughs> chapters, I thought, actually, I ought to cover off some other things. And then you start really taking it seriously and trying to to analyse why we do what we do in radio. You know, why do we have these rules in Radioland about X, Y and Z? Why do we think this? What, what is the theory behind it? And then I started researching and thinking and drawing on lessons not only from the media world but from outside and trying to work out whether how to substantiate that radio thinking. And it just for me, it got more and more interesting and I have to say by the end of it, I was learning. So it started out as frustration and ended up being uh, moderately interesting. And David, you, you have 35 years' experience yourself. So there, oh, don't say that. <laughs> but there, that is a huge uh, wealth of experience to draw on, and that, that's evident in the book. And, and the research you talk about, uh, the, the historical reference points you use to help explain what makes great radio, 
led me to wonder whether radio really has changed much over that time. It's a really good observation because... You know, a lot of it has changed. The technology clearly has changed beyond belief. Uh, certainly, most recently, hasn't it? Because, you know, for my first 10, 15, 20 years in radio, nothing changed, really, apart from having CD players. But in the last five years, certainly, it's become technologically unrecognisable. And yet, at its very heart, it is the same thing. It is a human being talking into a piece of metal exactly as I'm talking now and imagining somebody listening the other end. And that's as true now as it was when Christopher Stone was sitting there, the first ever presenter, when he talked into his microphone in 1929. Uh, he was doing exactly the same thing and using the same art, the same use of words, the same careful vocabulary and imagining that single listener, principally because then there probably only was a single listener. But those things haven't changed. So when you're hiring presenters, what are the skills that you're listening out for? I think being interesting is key. Uh, being an interesting human being. There are a lot of people who love radio who are, uh, as I was, sad, lonely individual. And uh, radio becomes an outlet for you to be the person you really want to be. And there are a lot of very shy people who love being on the radio because it allows them to perform without feeling silly and the, the attractiveness of their own character comes through. And that's fine, but you do want them to have a life. And when we talk to new presenters, we end up talking about life, the universe and everything and expect them to tell a story or two in an interesting way, because if you can't do that, you're probably not going to make the big time on a, certainly on a performance show. So if you've got somebody with genuine human interest and some life experience <clears throat> and the ability to, to tell a great story, it, it, can you teach the rest? I think you need a special something. And I have to say, listening around, around the radio dial, uh, maybe I'm being unkind, but there are some people on the radio who really shouldn't be front of house. Maybe they should be doing something else within the radio business. So I do think you need a certain something, and that can be honed and tuned by knowledge, understanding, uh, experience, and coaching. I remember one bit of coaching I once had, and the uh, the programme director let, uh, sort of leant back in his huge comfy chair and looked down upon me in a very small chair over the desk and uh, said, you won't be any good until you're 30. And as I was 22 at the time, I thought, well, that's not entirely helpful because there's not a lot I can do about that tomorrow on the show. <laughs> but uh, looking back, there's a bit of truth in that. And, uh, you know, you, when you've lived a bit more life and learnt the techniques, you know, you, you get to be a better broadcaster. Let's talk about promotions, marketing, branding, imaging, all of that stuff, because that's what this podcast's all about. And I notice in the book you devote a whole chapter to the art of hooking and teasing. Why so important for you? There's an obsession, isn't there, certainly in coaching sessions to this, this word teasing. And I, I almost hate the word because you end up with these very artificial teasers on shows. You know, uh, it's trying to tease something that really can't be teased particularly well. And I, as a listener, think, well, do you know, I'm not really bothered about listening to that. So it, it, it's more than teasing, actually. What is, your, what is your objective as a presenter on air? Your objective is to attract as many listeners 
and to get them to listen as long as they possibly can and to come back and listen a little bit more at another time. That's your objective. That's the gig. And so what it's about, it's about forward momentum, isn't it? It's about making your show difficult to leave. And you can do that in a number of ways. You can do it by starting off something that you're going to continue in in just a moment. You can let the listener think that this has happened. What's going to happen next? Are they going to track down this person? What's What's the next bit in the story? You know, if you watch Coronation Street, they've created plots and you want to hear the resolve to the plot in the next episode and there are little plots seeded as well that they're going to come back to so it's about making your show difficult to leave and the classic tease is part of that and it's working hard to make sure that the the wording of those is as powerful as it can be. I mean, running through my book, there's a lot of stuff about words and vocabulary and I do feel as an industry we don't concentrate on that enough. We don't realise that at its very heart, radio is about words and you should obsess about words. It's all we have. It's what sets your radio station apart from the others. So the words you choose will persuade a listener to listen after the break, after the next song, or not. And you've got to choose them wisely. And using the right words goes just as much for production as it does for on-air talent. So what do you look for in a in a great station producer? If you are responsible for the whole gig in other words you're not part of a team you know it's your job to produce and uh, you know write and produce material that's going to persuade your listeners to listen longer and to do stuff then you need a combination of both talents don't you you need a set of ears so you can really hear whether what you're doing works and it's amazing actually how many producers and broadcasters don't have those ears you know you say that doesn't sound right <laughs> that sounds odd and they, they you know you need to be able to listen actively and hear what you've done but yes of course you need those scripting skills and i fear that sometimes if you look at how much time certain producers spend on mixing again and again and again and again for the incremental you know one percent gain because mixing's the fun bit i compare that to how much time they spent on the words on the script did every word count you know when you're writing a piece of production every single word should have a value and you should write that and rewrite it and chop the top bit off and see if you can live without it you know, the fewer words you can use almost the better you know you look at tv ads how many how many words do you hear in great tv ads you know they, they it, it sort of speaks for itself so yes i'd look for someone who has a good command of the poetry of the great English language. And if you are a producer and you want to develop that skill, what things do do the best writers do habitually? The best place to start, I reckon, is ask yourself the question, what am I trying to do here? Uh, It's so easy to lose track of that, isn't it? Why am I writing this promo? What do I want listeners to feel, to think, or to do? What, What result am I expecting? What does success look like? And you start off by saying, what's the real listener benefit of this? You know, if it's a show, is it a show that's going to make my listeners feel great? Uh, If it's a competition, what are they going to win? How will they feel when they've won it? What's the real listener benefit? And by that, I I keep on emphasising this word, real listener benefit. It's very easy to think of what's the, you know, the, the, the prize you think maybe the listener benefit, but maybe not. Maybe it's how that prize makes the listener feel. 
Uh, for example, I, I, I talk about tickets sometimes. You, you can win tickets. You know, that works sometimes. That's all right. Nothing wrong with it. But actually, you know, 10 years on, will they remember the ticket, the piece of cardboard in the envelope, or will they remember that was the best night of their life and they went with their favourite person? They remember the occasion. So the occasion, that memory, is actually what you're delivering. That is the benefit of that. So what's the objective of the material you're doing? What is the listener benefit from doing it? And you hear a lot of um, commercial sort of co-pro things where you get things like uh, uh, the headline is, you know, come and see our street crew giving out nail files this weekend. And you're thinking, what am I... That was a real one, actually, I have to say, (laughs) on my radio station just when we arrived. And I'm thinking, are you really expecting a listener to think, oh, in a week and a half's time, I'll jump in my car, I'll drive seven miles to see a spotty student give me a cheap nail file? No, I wouldn't. Actually, it was part of a great day out for the family. Well, okay, that's fine. Well, the great day out for the family, you know, that's the the benefit. That's what you get from listening to it. So, you know, what is the listener a benefit and I think that then reverses you into writing the same sort of stuff and it's about uh, pictures isn't it it's about visualization and again going back to TV ads when they do car ads they don't show you under the bonnet or tell you that that's all in small print and you find about that in due course they show a beautiful car on a beautiful day going as quickly as the rules allow them to go and they ask you to picture yourself driving that great car and being the envy of your friends it's it's about a, a vision and that's what you've got to do with um, program promos you've got to grab my attention at the outset you know, it's too... To put all the great bits at the end is, is is much too late. You've got to grab it at the outset. And there's, you know, the old thing about just enough information. I don't need to know the intricacies of a contest. I'll find out those in due course. I just, I just need to know it's happening, when it's happening, and what you want me to do. Make every word count. Positive vocabulary, you know, if you've got lots of ifs, uh, in your script, you know, if you do this and if you do that, you know, you just think I'm not. It, it's so conditional. I'm not going to do it. When you hear your name, you will win. Positive language, and you know, when you've done all those millions of things and loads more, I mentioned in the book, uh, then listen back and say objectively, does it do the job? Have you got lost in your own creative thought? Does it actually achieve the objective that you set out to do? And that, David, sounds like a great template for a creative brief. Uh, and in the book, when you, you're talking about competitions, you make the point that competitions are not just for winners. No, absolutely. And again, when you're doing a promo for a competition, say, well, what am I doing here? Is my objective to get people to take part? And, you know, sometimes that's what we need, for goodness sake. We can't invent winners anymore. Um, <laughs> we never did. Uh, but, but, <laughs> but, you know, often it's actually uh, you want listeners to listen to this great bit of radio. You know, promos for who wants to be a millionaire, although the prize is, is implicit, you probably don't imagine yourself taking part and you probably haven't bothered and a very small proportion of people have bothered. But millions have watched it and all the promos for that contest are all about this is a great bit of entertaining TV. So yes, with contests, what you've got to do is say, how interesting is it going to be? And, you know, we've all done the listen out for the sound of the horn going off and you can win. Well, you know, is it really entertaining radio for the vast majority of people who will not take part? I'd suggest no. And, you know, let's design contests that are great to listen to. And what is your favourite hours-building device? Do you have one? 
Uh, now, that's an interesting question, isn't it? And, and years ago, we used to have you know a, a gamut of hours building contests, and we used to expect a lot of our audiences, didn't we? We used to say, you know, listen out every hour of the day, collect the <laughs> collect the so and sos, and then. And I, I, frankly, I think people are too busy to in life now to expect too much of them. So you know, I, I don't think contesting should be too demanding because otherwise, again, you rule out the vast majority of your listeners. You know, you look at your audience for your radio station and you look at the proportion of your reach you only listen between one and two hours and the graph is is, is amazing it'll be about half just over half i imagine for depending on the format you listen to you know, for one to two hours per week you know and you want those people to listen a little bit longer they're not going to jump from one hour a week to 20 so make the contest sort of doable and in terms of hours building contests it used to be the case that Radio stations were the only place where you could win great prizes. But now, if I wanted, I could go online now and take part in competitions every hour of my life. So no longer is the radio station the only place where you can win a car or whatever. So do they work on radio as hours builders? I don't know. I come back to the thought that, you know, great radio that keeps people listening is just great entertaining, inventive, creative, surprising, and yet consistent radio that delivers the songs I love. And that's what it's about. And I think that that's what the secret of hours building is. And maybe it's not the traditional contest we've all loved over the years. You devote a chapter in the book to uh, stunting, uh, which clearly is a great way to drive awareness and trial of a, a radio station. But I wonder whether the radio stunts in the UK uh, have peaked now. Are we not living in a slightly softer, kinder time? I think you're absolutely right, and uh, I make this point in the book. I mean, there are a lot of stunts that have, uh, are still fondly remembered in, in the UK. There was uh, Three Strangers in a Wedding in, in the very radio station. I, I'm sat in uh, uh, doing this today. Uh, I mentioned in the book the case of uh, Bank It or Burn It, which we did in Galaxy Yorkshire, which was phenomenal. And, you know, we burnt literally £5,000 in in-notes, in-flames, and, you know, it was it was a time and a place in history. And for that, you know, anarchic brand at the time, it was exactly what our listeners expected us to do because it was naughty. And the church hated it. Uh, the, uh, the, the MPs wrote to us saying, uh, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. It sounds ridiculous. Our sales manager was up in arms. Clients were threatening to withdraw their cash. You know, it was a very daring thing to do. And we had the, I remember the 11th hour conversation where we said, are we going to do this or are we going to say no i tell you what let's give it to charity and we thought every other brand in this market would give it to charity we're galaxy we won't and mike cass said we're going to burn it now a lot of heartache along the way would i do that now i don't think i would because the world's moved on a bit uh, we've had some really tough times haven't we in all sorts of ways matters of life and death uh, we've had a deep deep recession and I don't think listeners would like a radio station that does that. So you've got to make sure that whatever you're planning fits with the climate, fits with your audience, fits with your community, what your listeners expect of you. And I think certainly some um, very famous stunts that have you know gone wrong um, mean that we're all a bit cautious about this. And I think our listeners now don't really want us to go too far. And what I think what's changed is we've now moved over to 
the the nice surprise, haven't we? The Davina McCall live and lost stories and things like that, mm. where the surprise, the moment of drama is not the, oh my God, what have they done? It's, oh, isn't that just lovely? And you see it floods of tears. And I think that's where some great radio is now. So you're right, the climate's moved on, I reckon. And, and we want people to feel good on so many of our stations these days. We do. I mean, if you look at any piece of research uh, that I've ever done, and you've probably been involved in, when you look at why people turn the radio on, the number one motivator is mood. It's it's to change the way I feel, to cheer me up. And even on talk stations where they're talking about some pretty disastrous things, you know, the great performers in that talk field, whether it's John Humphreys or or Nick Ferrari or James O'Brien, they are entertaining to listen to, and you get some smiles along some very dark journeys, you know. So, yes, radio is about actually changing cheering me up that's the number one motivator so we shouldn't do things that bring you down i think the australians uh, are probably most famous for the edgy stunts but uh, hamish and andy got seven thousand people out to watch people in horse suits running around a racetrack now that's total feel-good stuff great fun and it's coming from Australia. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, they, they, they've moved on because, as you say, uh, Australia was very much the home of some pretty crazy stuff over the time. But, uh, and those things, you know, they, they are feel good. These are competitive times. We have to set our radio stations apart. We don't want to shock for the hell of it, but we do need to stand out. And this word disruption is very today. You know, disrupt things. Every product sector is being disrupted. So you, know, you may need something to disrupt your market and change the listening patterns that you keep on seeing on your radar graphs. And those can be just simple, responsive ideas. This has happened today. Tell you where we could go with that. Let's. And it's those spontaneous things that sometimes work very well uh, in Coventry. Uh, Mike Newman was behind a, a great study. Remember the woman who put a cat in the bin? Mm. You know, went absolutely huge. And we did a skit the following day. I think it cost us about £33. And we had a cat putting an old woman, in, uh, a, a person dressed as a cat, putting an old woman in a bin. <laughs> you know, and it, it, it was just a great idea, which took half a day to do and that you know just had millions of hits so you've got to be responsive and also there's a there's a lovely thing called marketing judo which uh, i talk about it's not my um, idea it's the idea of a chap who was the chairman uh, of one of our radio stations uh, john barnes and he was in he came from a completely different sector and he talked about marketing judo which is about you don't need to be the biggest and heaviest judo player to win you use the weight of your opponent to devastate your opponent. I've never played judo, so I'm just guessing all that. But that's, that's how he explained it. And this is about using somebody bigger than you to bring you PR. And this is uh, Absolute Radio 60s and Cliff Richard. And at the time, Absolute 60s was, you know, a brand new radio station. They wanted to get the name across. They refused to play Cliff, you know, and they had every TV station queued up outside, one golden square at the crack of dawn. They'd used Cliff Richard's weight uh, to give them weight to this new brand and of course that um, Cliff uh, particular stunt has been done before that and probably happened again as well and Cliff Richard uh, did him no harm either Indeed. Uh, you, you say it's a, a competitive time 15 new digital stations coming to a radio near you next year what will all that additional choice in the market mean for stations like yours I think it's uh, it, it's great news radio is 
at an incredibly exciting time. You know, Global are doing some exciting things. I think Radio X is, is brilliantly put together. I mean, it, it is the simplest concept done in exactly the right way with exactly the right people. And that is going to drive audiences and excitement about radio. And that's good for all of us. So looking at the, the, the stations that are coming online, lots of uh, speech stations as well, which is going to be uh, great. So I think uh, UTV and, uh, and Bauer have put a you know, decent package together. And you know, it is going to be... Uh, more competitive. I think we're all used to seeing graphs on our wall of the the analog stations coming together. You know, it happens in every market that you know you've got station X, which is doing really well, and you've got new station Y and a newer station Z, and they're they're a long way apart. And then you know, a couple of years on, they've all coalesced and they're fighting it out. You know, it's the magic heart capital battle in London, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that's what happens. You know, stations just start to compete, and then you've got down at the bottom, you've got now the digital stations, which are coalescing at a different point, what will happen in the next five or ten years is yeah, they'll always rise, you know, as, as platforms become uh, ubiquitous, those stations will all coalesce in the same place and we'll be fighting it out uh, on equal terms with the digital stations as well as the analogue, and it'll be very exciting. David, uh, finally, I do want to ask you very quickly about uh, jingles. A lot of people who listen to this podcast are huge fans of jingles, and you've played them on the air for many years, now you commission uh, Wise Buddha to do your jingles for free radio. Uh, how do you ensure you get what you want from those guys? I think a, a good brief is absolutely critical and I'm always uh, really chuffed when Wise Buddha say to us, that's one of the best briefs we've ever had because we take a lot of time and care in doing that. I think the production company needs to know what sort of a station you are, who's your target listen, uh, what, what are the songs you play, tell me about your brand, what words do you use it, how do you personify your brand, so tell me what the what what the home is those jingles are going to go into. So I think, uh, yeah, a, a, a decent brief is, is the important start and you've actually had to play these things on the air as a presenter what did that teach you about jingles the, the station name is the most important thing of all isn't it and whether that's through the jingles or how the presenters say it it's got to stand out in neon lights isn't it because we know that in our business radar is how we are registered how we make our living how we are judged and Therefore, it's a game of recall, isn't it? It's a battle of perception. It's making sure that when somebody fills in the radar diary in a week and a half's time, even though you've played many of the same songs as your competitor, they remember your name and your top of mind. There's uh, the wonderful oft-quoted book, uh, The uh, Immutable Laws of Marketing, which talks about, you know, it's a battle for the mind. It's a battle of perception. And if people think you are the biggest station in town, then when they come to tick the diary for the big top 40 which appears on many other stations in your town they will tick you so you've got to get that name across and presenters have got to deliver it with love every single syllable of your radio station name should just be spelt beautifully and i always say um you know i've got an obsession with not even putting an apostrophe near it so you know not free radios or gems because you wouldn't have cokes you know the, the, the word coke is just iconic in that signature handwriting you would never put anything near that word so treat your brand name that it's the most important thing of all and I've always loved sung jingles and there are people who say that's very old fashioned and it's what radio used to be years ago and that's true um, but old ideas still work and uh, I quoted a piece of um, research from 1990 in the book and they uh, read out the words of a song uh, an, un an unknown song so the words of a song 
and then they set them to music and tested recall. And when they did recall after 15 minutes, the people who'd had the words read to them recalled uh, 76%, but if they were sung, it was 86 And then when they tested them later, the gap had grown. Uh, 81% remembered the sung lyrics, 67 the read lyrics. And I think that's why, you know, great contemporary, well-produced uh, sung ideas have a place and so do spoken liners I think they both live alongside each other It's hard to think of a reason why you wouldn't harness the power of music to help people remember your station Absolutely and uh, Radio Centre has just published some uh, decent research into this very area which I think is worth every programmer looking at not just uh, uh, the commercial teams Yeah, the, the power of music in, in mood and pace and rhythm and flow and memorability is, is proven Any favourite jingles that stick in your mind? Oh dear. Uh, <laughs> gosh, I love all the old 80s, uh, really poetic, uh, wonderful when we used to write lots and lots and lots of lyrics for them. And uh, they were a bit over the top, but very much fun for, for a, a jingle anorak. But in terms of quality, you know, I have to say some of the stuff we've done recently for, uh, with Wise Buddha for, uh, for free has been you know, very conspicuous, different, characterful, uh, and I'm really proud of that. So great, great jingles, which are memorable. They're my favourites. And it all comes down to writing in the end. David, you write so well. And when you read the book, you'll see how to make great radio that can work, uh, not just for commercial clients and advertisers, but always putting the listener first. I think that's what I enjoyed about reading it most. David, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Steve. Yes, David's book, How to Make Great Radio, it's in all the places you'd expect. And proceeds are to the Radio Academy. Colin uh, Kelly's still with us. Uh, David talking about the importance of good writing there. You're a journalist. I am. So your, your craft is all about words too? Absolutely, and I must have written thousands and thousands of scripts uh, over the years, and yeah, I, I would totally agree with what David is saying. And, uh, you know, if you've read Chris Evans' books, you know, you, you think that a lot of these guys, Chris Evans and Steve Wright, that it's all just um, kind of free-flowing off the top of their head. The amount of writing and scripting that goes into these great radio shows, great TV shows like TFI Friday, um, you know, I find it really encouraging because it's almost like the guys and the men and women that do the work, that do that hard work, the craft, the writing, the scripting, uh, they're the ones that have the, the big success. And the people that just busk it, they only kind of get so far. And David was suggesting in his interview there that if producers, station imaging producers, spent a little less time finessing the mix and a little bit more time concentrating on the script, then you would have more effective work on air. Do you agree? I do, because I think a lot of the things that these producers obsess over ultimately is not ever held by the audience because they're so distracted. The words can cut through. And uh, I think that is true. It was true in the 80s. It's even more true today. And you're a fan of those old 80s jingles that David was talking about as well, I know, Colin. Yeah, maybe not those ones in particular, but there's <laughs> some that I like. I like the one, the, the Radio 1 one that mentioned, you know, Scotland, England, Ireland, Wales. Um, I think radio is so good at building empathy. I think that's the best thing about radio. And the words and the language that we use, especially, I suppose, at a local level where you can really get into people's dialect and even the, the slang that they use in particular regions. I, I guess we don't maybe hear enough of that these days. Well, particularly with networked brands. Yeah, I mean, there's. A, I'm not going to criticise the stations at network because it's here and it's here to stay, but I, I think that... Um, 
those things that, that we need to find a way of still maintaining that within the networking certainly within the imaging it's not just it's not just the programs that are networked now there's all these imaging hubs and certainly obviously I'm in Scotland does somebody sitting in Manchester or Leicester Square in London truly understand even the slang that we use up here and I, I would say that they don't and that takes us back to writing well exactly right I, I think you know you need to have the the idea you need to understand uh, the audience um, and like you say it, it's, you can't just open that mic and hope that you're going to get it right you, it starts with, with planning and writing and then and then editing it revisiting the writing and doing it again and making it better there's a there's a craft to it and, and I think that, that there's a danger that that might get lost and it's great to hear people like David who I've never met but I've sent him a few demo tapes over the years <laughs> uh, and David and John Myers would be another one uh, giving so much back to the medium and and helping maintain these really important skills Excellent. And uh, I, if I could give you a tip, it's to get this book and leave a couple of copies at the school as well. That's a great idea. I'll definitely do that. Always great to hear what you're up to. And thank you for being, uh, as ever, our Scottish correspondent. My pleasure, Steve. All the best. That's Colin Kelly. And his latest project is called Scottish Schools Radio. ScottishSchoolsRadio.com, the website. Now, I'm recording this around Christmas, so before we end today, shall we play a couple of festive ads, yeah? Right, first to the USA. What do you make of this? They've been mistreated and misunderstood for generations. Abusive owners have done severe damage and given these beautiful creatures a bad reputation. So every day, millions suffer from misuse and neglect. But you can make a difference by giving a gun a loving home. These guns want nothing more than to adore and protect you. And PRK Arms in Fresno wants to match you with a new gun and a new addition to your family. The professional staff at PRK Arms are experts and know how to find the perfect firearm to fit your lifestyle. And PRK Arms has the kind of guns that need a loving home more than anything else, like AK-47 and AR-15 style guns, and the best and biggest selection of handguns in Fresno. So please, have a heart, and don't let a gun spend another night on a cold, dusty shelf. Just stop by 5530 East Lamona, off Clovis Avenue, now open Tuesday through Sunday, or call PRK Arms at 283-8666. Apparently, it boosted sales. Not my cup of tea, I must say. Unlike this, from Ireland. There's something about Christmas. There's something about it that creeps inside and finds the child in you. I was having a look around the shops to see what Santa might be bringing the boys, and there was this train set. Old-style black engine with maroon stripe, green and black carriages, all set up like And the sound it made. Soft. Yet it cut right through all the space-agey screeches in the place. And I remembered another Christmas morning. Waking up, the windows frosted over with cold. You could see your breath. And the thing that woke me was that sound. And I didn't dare hope. Sliding out of bed, cold at the floor. And there it was, going round and round on the bedroom rug. I ran down, could barely speak. Mum and Dad were sitting there. What is the teapot that? covered in that knitted cosy and the smell of hot, Dad, milky tea. You'll never rushes. guess what Santa brought. You'll never guess what Santa brought, I said. Well, doesn't that beat well, Banner? doesn't that beat Banner, said train my mother. No a train set, no less. Santa the smart Isn't Santa the smart fella? Turn the moment gold with Barry's Gold Blend Tea. So last night, when I came home with the train set, Mary couldn't believe oh, it. Martin, that's not what they wanted. She, that's not what they wanted at all, she said. 
Santa will bring them what they want, I said. This is from me. Put the kettle on, we'll have a cup of tea. Absolutely love that. And so bold to run to 90 seconds for that simple piece of storytelling. But it breathes and it draws you in and it leaves you in no doubt that Barry's Tea is a pretty classy Irish blend. Thanks to Media Central in Dublin for permission to run it. Next time on the podcast, we meet freelance audio producer Richard Newby. Mariana O'Kelly, the executive creative director of Ogilvy in South Africa, is here, explaining how her agency created an award-winning spot for LucasAid. And Hayley Hayes will be with us with your emails and comments, so please come up with some. I'm Steve Martin. You can reach me at the website earshotcreative.com where you'll also find show notes for this and all our podcasts stretching back through the years. And just for you, a moody black and white photograph of David Lloyd. It's just the photo that's moody, not David. Especially if you buy his book, How to Make Great Radio. There's a link on the site. Thanks for being within Earshot. Have a very Merry Christmas and see you next time with Richard, Mariana and Hayley. Earshot with Steve Martin.